0: and welcome to the 320 Club podcast. Why is it called the 320 Club? Well, 420 was already taken and happy hour is happening somewhere else. We're your hosts. I'm Whiskey. And I'm Rox. And we brought ourselves a guest today. Uh, I don't know. We haven't figured out a proper pseudonym to call you or anything like that. Uh, I was thinking, I I wrote a couple down. I thought uh, we were going to talk a little bit about uh, the Canadian Space Program. Um, So I figured we would call you not Chris Hatfield. (laughs) <laughs> um or uh or more I think because uh of uh I don't know you've written some books, I was also thinking of a name like the Godfather I thought that would no, be a good no, name. no 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 uh, no I got
1: I got it I got you it. got it what's the name I got it. since we're talking about space and in honor of our new uh, cannabis legislation, we'll call him mr green <laughs> Mr green, or more specifically dr Green, dr Green
2: yeah, I'll go with that <laughs> dr Green,
0: that sounds good okay um <clears throat> So, uh, well, first of all, what are, we, uh, what are we drinking here? I brought some stuff here. I figured uh, we'd bring the good stuff because we have a very special guest Ooh. with us today. This is a Akitoshan 18. Um, it's an 18-year-old whiskey that is uh, priced about 120 bucks. so it's actually really great value wow. for an 18-year-old whiskey. Um, I picked this one up in Alberta when I was out traveling with you. We got puppies here, folks, so. Don't worry, that's a little background noise. Um, but because there's not much left in it, I also brought another bottle called the Glen Morangie. I think it's called the Nectar Door. I think did. we've had that before. I think we had it last week. <clears> last, you're sure last gold, week. golden nectar. <laughs> it looks like gold. So we can go ahead and pour that if you want. Which one do you want? Um, go. Yeah, you get. Uh, well, eighteen years. Eighteen
1: years. Uh, I mean, we shouldn't let it wait any longer. So. This is true. This is true. Well, if he leaves here sober, mm-hmm. uh, we. Mr. Mark. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see how this works. You know, if you keep <clears throat> petting them, they come back, right? All right. <laughs> um, so
0: I'll, uh, I guess I'll start off by going a little bit into um, your association. We talked a little bit about the Canadian space program. What, what's yeah. your association with it or what's your, um, I guess that's the best question for it.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's uh, one of those things where you, uh, you, know, you sort of get born into it, I think, to a certain extent. Um, I've been fascinated with uh, space exploration and rockets and astronomy since I was a little kid. Uh, I loved uh, outer space and dinosaurs and uh, eventually dinosaurs got replaced by girls, but uh, I never really lost the fascination with space travel (laughs) and uh, space exploration. So uh, when I went to school, I started to uh, study subjects like astronomy and physics and engineering. And then eventually, uh, as I became a grown-up and got out into the working world, I always tried to find uh, opportunities and, uh, and whatnot so that I could uh, work in the space field in some way, shape, or form. So uh, over the past many, many years, I have uh, followed the space programs pretty closely and I've uh, uh, even been a historian for the Canadian Space Agency at one time. Uh, and also, too, uh, I've had uh, many other interesting jobs that have allowed me to work in uh, satellites and uh, and uh, space technology and aerospace engineering, and it's been a pretty good go so far.
0: So I'm going to get you to speak a little bit more close into the mic. Right up. <clears throat> close, close like that. Uh, there we are. Yeah, it's a little bit better. There we go. That's better. Uh, I, can, I can edit those bits. Yeah, no so,
1: worries. So let me uh, get this straight. In order of... A priority here—you went from girls to space agency—is because one didn't work out. You moved on to the be- next available field here. Yeah, pretty much. I, <laughs> I, I dumped dinosaurs because you know, dino-
2: dinosaurs are kind of old anyway. So cheers. But, uh, girls are new. Cheers. Yeah, thanks very much. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, that's great. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Very smooth.
1: Mm. Our t- my table's a veteran. Fantastic.
0: Yeah, we've gotten rid of some of the finish off of his table
1: because we were making uh, brandy last time we
2: recorded ah, right, here. Right.
1: Yeah. All right. But uh, no, that's pretty good. I mean, it's a fascinating space to be if you think about it. It's a 30, <clears throat> as in 2017, it was a $33 trillion industry. Uh, it, and it's funny how aerospace gets lumped into airplanes and space vehicles all in one, but I, I, the pressures and stuff like that is a radically different field.
2: Yeah, it's uh, you know I think it's uh, uh, we've sort of come to a crossroads, if you will. Uh, you know, as a grown up now, I'm starting to see things that were really only part of our imagination when I was a kid, and I, I just I'm fascinated that we get to live in a time where we can see the things and be part of the things that we are now. Uh, if you think about you know, what it must have been like for <coughs> Europeans at the end of the 15th century when they discovered the new world, so to speak, or at least run into the new world, um, to live in that time when the whole globe gets opened up to you. Well, we're alive like that now. Uh, we see pictures of Jupiter that Galileo could only have imagined what he could see with his first telescope. Uh, I've watched rockets take off and then land right by themselves, right back where they took off from. Uh, something that comes out of the pages of Tintin comic books from when I was a kid. Hmm. Um, I uh, We're about to come up on the 50th anniversary of the landing of Apollo 11 on the moon. Uh, and here we are potentially talking about going back again within the next five or six years. Uh, these are amazing things. And uh, I, I just feel very fortunate that we're alive, actually, when this takes place. So when they, when they lump these things together and they, uh, and they just sort of think, oh, it's all just about widgets and, you know, traveling to a space station and back. Well, that's, that space station's the size of an aircraft carrier. And it's going 5,000 miles an hour, practically. So you can get from New York to London in five minutes with that thing. It's, it's remarkable when you think about it. Uh, I just, yeah, I just, I, I look forward to every day that comes forward and what what new things are going to come.
0: I was hearing in an interview not long ago with um, Neil deGrasse Tyson. I know I got to talk about him because oh. I talk about popular science and we. T- I don't know, I don't know what your thoughts are on the guy. We can talk about personalities and that and the like a little bit later, but the idea that uh, some of the technology that we get as a result of space exploration, I think, is pretty cool. Like. You know, uh, cordless power tools and just like the fact that we're just basically living in Star Trek times right now. you got a yeah. tricorder that sits in your pocket yep. all yeah, the time, absolutely. right? You got a—you literally have a computer that sits in your hand that you can access all human knowledge that we've ever come to accumulate and even some of the false ones.
1: You know, with electronics becoming so, so much cheap <clears throat> and then 3D design and 3D printing uh, of circuits becoming so much readily available... Um, yeah, we I agree with you. It's like a setting time, yeah. but I mean, the, it, it's it's funny. We 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 talk about technology, and, and I'm all for innovations, mind. But we we pair that with in contrast with climate change and how we're spending a lot of money getting off the planet rather than investing in the planet. Sometimes, where, you know, you think our neighbors down south wants to create a whole space force, but deny climate change is a problem. <laughs> 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 so on one hand 100% investing in, techn- in science <clears throat> warf- you know, like it's basically a science-ified warfare yeah. um, so there's,
0: so there's actually a case to be made for creating an entity called a space force from what I understand and, and I mean before we had um, before we had the air force who, wh- who what did aviation fall under when we were engaging in military activities right during the first World War, closing making our way in towards the second world war. Right? We didn't have a force or an agency responsible for those things that were flying around in the sky doing reconnaissance or balloons or anything like that. Um, so they ended up creating an old their their an like a an independent organization that was able to govern that stuff. So like yeah, it sounds cheesy when we hear about it and we talk about this these kinds of things. It's like we're gonna make a space force but I I don't know, like Somebody's got to do it at some point. It just sucks that the, the the you know the tanned orange man down south uh, decided to create it.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's you know there's always consternation when you uh, introduce something new. I mean, uh, you, know, so, you know, take the United States uh, for example. I mean, the uh, the Air Force used to belong to the Army during the Second World War, mm-hmm. and uh, after the end of the Second World War in 1946 47, when the Air Force said, "Well, we want to be our own organization," the U.S. Army, of course, said that's ridiculous. I mean, why would you possibly want to have a separate Air Force? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. I mean, the air you know the army the army looks after that. But but things will change, and that and that is something which is in itself probably the only constant is that there will be changes and the things that today seem ridiculous uh, will eventually someday seem normal uh, to those who come after us and go, well of course they had to make this decision. Where they said, finally, yes, we're going to take some people and make sure that their only real job is to is to focus up and outwards. Uh, as a good friend, well, you mentioned Neil deGrasse Tyson. A good, you know, Neil Neil takes his spin off of a guy that came before him named Jack Horkheimer. Okay. And Jack Horkheimer was the astronomer in the, the uh, Fort Lauderdale and Florida Astronomy uh, Planetarium, and he used to run a show in the 80s and 90s. I so used to watch as a kid, and, and uh, he used to talk about it, in the sky tonight. And and the mm. last thing he used to say is. is he wrapped up his little five minute uh, sort of interlude was he used to always say keep looking up and uh, Hmm. in fact that's what's on his headstone. Uh, because interesting. He said that he'd have an eternity to keep looking up uh, once he had finished living this life. <laughs> and, and guys like Neil and, and Bill Nye, the Science Guy, and these guys, yeah. they're important because what they do is that they allow us to understand yeah. the complicated things about space in simple language.
0: Well, they're, they're carrying yeah. on the good works of guys like Carl Sagan, and Abs- like you oh, mentioned yeah. There's another as well, one. Yeah, right? Absolutely, yeah. for sure. And it's kind of interesting. You mentioned Bill Nye, like you see a guy who is like a champion for kids. Like 20 years ago, like I grew up <laughs> yeah. watching yeah. Bill Nye the yeah, Science yeah, yeah. Guy. Like I'm one. of those i'm part of that generation and it's funny he hasn't like maintained that uh maintained that demographic he just he continued with the same millennial generation he continued with that same generation it's like listen the people who are older than you they don't give a fuck about what's going on with the with the environment or anything so it's kind of up to you now and now he's turned into this kind of like political preacher figure. Well, I,
1: I kind of go, goes back to my original comment. is how, like, how do we invest in <clears> science <throat> on one side for a, really a purely interest-based situation. So you're looking at a 30-year horizon when you have a space force. He's about to make the business the case for all that. Oh, no, here I'm here not.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, let's, let's hear it. sip let's hear on it.
1: it. But then you, then you, then, you, then we, that against climate change because i mean a lot of us say well when we're investing things we're investing our future and we say well the future is up the future is down the the future is heating up um when we we pair the two together and we say you know we've already radically invested in climate and understanding climate change and in many respects the 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 contrarians are, are usually silenced um and then whoever's in political power tends to get the resurgence of the research money. Yeah. But then you pair that and going, well, that's a sexy topic right now because yeah. Elon Musk is doing his thing, um, what do you call it?
2: Virgin, He's doing his Virgin, best Virgin, to get, Virgin, get off Gal- the planet. Virgin, Virgin Galactic. Yeah, yeah, yeah Richard Virgin Branson, Virgin Galactic, and also Jeff Bezos with Blue Origin. Right. So he, uh, yeah. I know uh, Virgin Galactic still get, is getting charging a quarter million dollars for ticket yeah. for something that's not even available yet. Yeah. Hmm. So... Not the first time. <laughs> Hilton Hotel used to offer tickets for a reservation on the hotel they were going to build on the moon in the 1960s when Pan Am, a now defunct airline, was still running. So, uh, so it's, not a, it's not an original idea, but you're right. Here's the thing, actually, is that <clears throat> we, we have to invest in climate change in here and now because in order to save the planet, we must go to outer space. We know one thing for certain. This planet is going to die. Three and a half billion years from now, the sun will get bigger and this planet will be gone. And so we don't know how long it's going to take us to get humanity off this little doomed rock and out into the universe. But right. but it's probably never too early to start. Yeah. And But you're absolutely right. That, that investment needs to be balanced because if we burn out the earth now, we will never get out there. But if we don't start to get out there, then there's no point in staying here. So the question really is, is what is the balance? What? How much is enough for one and how much is enough it's for one? You raise an interesting point. Yeah. Like how...
1: Because, I mean, if you burn out the planet, you're going to have to have a space-style system in order to compensate for the lack of whatever. Elysium. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good point. So we're biodomes.
0: Well, -hmm. well, like, there's a... I mean, it's a a Neil deGrasse Tyson point. It's like if you devote, you know, a good percentage of your energy towards exploration the way that we've always done, that's where the technology lays. Um, That's, you know, like, the capacity for us to be able to affect the climate of, uh, uh, of the earth in a positive way. Um, I think it's, I, I don't know, it's uh, cause obviously I'm rocks and I don't know much, but, uh, <laughs> but I think if you pursue things like space, spe- space, exploration or, you know, you go under those pursuits, you end up, uh, you end up discovering new technologies that you didn't know, uh, were there that have other applications in, in a whole bunch of different ways. Like Velcro. Um, and I think, yeah, like Velcro, Velcro. like Velcro, and Tang
1: Tang powdered orange cheese. So yes, like, exactly. Like, or or was it freeze dried <clears throat> cheese? What? Oh yes, yes. <laughs> so they still have Starbucks down. But
0: I think I think that's where somebody like a, a Neil deGrasse Tyson is coming from too. Is like if you devote more energy into the actual like the thing that we're really good at as human beings at exploration, at turning the unknown into known, um, you'll discover alternative ways of how can we conserve energy better how can we find new ways of storing energy of distributing energy of, uh, of creating renewable sources of energy that kind of thing
2: we're, we're going to do it hum, yeah humans are it's curious. just a matter of time Yeah, humans are curious people and we can't shut that off and we always want to know why and where and how mm-hmm. and when and these things drive us, and they, it drives us... In well, I could get all my way. answers on social media. What are you talking about? Yeah, that's right. I'll just, t- I'll just check my Instagram and see what they say today. No, it's true. Yeah. Well, even that, I mean, to a certain extent, when you look at that, that idea that we, uh, we want to have the wisdom of crowds right now, right, but we also suffer the stupidity of crowds in a little bit. Uh, but, you know, it's the risk that you're willing to take. You, you have to take some of the bad in order to get some of the good. Um, and, and the best ideas will come out of that because one guy will step forward and say, or one girl will step forward and say, you know what, I, you know, there's a good quote I'm paraphrasing from a, from a presidential candidate long ago who said, you know, there are some people who look at the world and ask why. He said, I look at the world that could be and ask why not. And I think that is really what's going to separate us, you know, going forward.
0: Who was that?
2: uh, It was actually it's been attributed to Robert Kennedy, but I'm not I'm not certain if. uh, Is it Jimmy Carter, maybe? No, uh, because Ted Kennedy said it at uh, Robert Kennedy's funeral, um, uh, as part of the eulogy. And uh, I mean, I'm not convinced that he. I think I remember the speech. Yeah. Yeah, but he uh, he does he does say it in the eulogy, and I mean, and you know, paraphrase it or not, but I mean, it, it sets a good tone, which is that. At the end of the day, I do believe that there's more people on this planet that are just going to simply ask why not, and that's what keeps driving us forward. Sure.
1: I mean, I mean, opening it up to consumerism too. So, how, what's your <laughs> thoughts on, on separating between a purely research, military, governmentally controlled mm-hmm. environment versus now putting uh, more an enhanced commercial
2: application beyond just satellites? Yeah, I, I think we should open it up completely. Personally, I uh, uh, we know that uh, there comes a time when. You know things that are controlled by government or by or by military research alone, uh, you never really get the full benefit of it because those organizations have very specific outcomes. But but commerce and capitalism, if you believe in capitalism, uh, usually tends to drive the market, and you never know where it's going to take you. uh, In some extent, Uh, people people change for two reasons, really. I think you know they change for convenience or they change because they're being coerced to do so. Uh, And I think at a you know when you open things up to commercial. (coughs) Um, Interests, you tend to get that convenience piece as opposed to the coerced piece that government and defense tend to uh, tend to drive.
0: Wouldn't there be? Um, isn't there a risk in that too, though? As well, like I would, I would. Uh, like, just take, for example, the mass the massive amount of uh, garbage that is floating around oh, our yeah, atmosphere. Yeah, there's a lot. Like, just outside yeah. of the orbit or just in the orbit of the planet, right? And that they have to do all these incredible mathematical calculations oh. to... Yes, they do. To, uh, to launch a, a satellite or a shuttle... Within a window, like trying to hit a, ne- a moving needle within a stack of needles, or Mo- something. More, like that. more
1: importantly, is also those things are moving five thousand kilometers. Exactly, yeah. and they and those yeah. things are basically like
0: it, it's like like a plastic fork could turn into a bullet. And not all of them are designed to burn <laughs> up on impact. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but then it,
2: but then I can I can go back to the nineteen twenties and say how many aircraft got hit by got hit by birds as they took off, and how many crashes are attributed to that's things, a fair point. to things in the air, right? And it's about risk. Is what it's about. That is a fair and, point. And what it comes down to is, uh, how much risk do you want to take? Right? Um, there's a lot of risk in space travel. I mean, no,
0: I just mean in terms of the commercialization. Well, right. If you there open too. it
2: up,
1: then more people yeah. are able to. Well, you're on, you're onto something here. Yeah. So maybe I can redirect it. So, it cost eighty million dollars to send one astronaut into space. Yeah. Um, I can't remember what their what um, SpaceX was in, in, in t- their business model was intending on on, on costing. Yes. But it's an interesting dynamic because really NASA and the government look for value when they pick any type of tests that are out there. You know, some are you know pro bono and they allocate space based on that. And the other side is that you have commercial side, which tends to be flimsier. You know, you have industrial and scientific construction, which is very rigid parameters where, you know, as long as we get back and not get our asses sued, we're okay. And since they're in space... You know what kind of governmental rights are in space right about now? <laughs> well, what
2: kind of regulated agencies are out there? Here's the interesting thing, right? So, in order to uh, getting out into space isn't the problem. Coming back in is actually the issue. So, <laughs> yeah. so if you enter the United States by deorbiting and uh, basically landing, in the, you basically are no different than if you come off an airplane. Uh, you have to file an immigration landed status card. Um, even when the even when Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin and uh, Collins come back from the moon on Apollo Eleven, they have to fill out a U.S. immigration Card no entry, shit yeah and re-entry to the united states <laughs> and also to, and also this make a declaration of all the goods they brought back like illegal aliens <laughs> yeah, like, you know, like liquor from the moon you know <laughs> sort of thing. and thus area 51 was created yeah, so it's you know it's a, it's amazing but but you're right like there is that that risk of you know when you commercialize something you've got all that sort of added layers that go in there but you know i i make the analogy like how many dead climbers are there on mount everest Right. We've this week. That's right. Yeah, this (laughs) week, week, yeah. Yeah. They've commercialized what used to be one of the most dangerous things in the world to the point where there's a lineup to go up the mountain. And there's a lot of dead people up there that died waiting. (laughs) That died waiting. That took all the risk. And space is gonna be no different. Like, you know, Richard Branson and Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk and all these guys that are basically commercializing space, they're they're just the latest generation of the Howard Hugheses and the Doolittles, the guys that used to do the air races and the Barnstormers, the twenties and no, thirties. These, these guys are the new these guys are the new private car racers, they're the new billionaires with toys. They all want to be space explorers. And they're and they're and gonna great. get into it. Yeah, and they're and gonna get cool. into it. Well, one of them will, not all well, of them. Yes, <laughs> it's, it's not one
1: hundred percent participation so, medals so, here. But so I we, think <laughs> it's a great thing. Because it, it it it, yeah. it influences
2: the next generation, yeah. right? Yeah. Of what's cool, right? Ma- imagine this: Imagine if some commercial tourist lands on Mars and picks up a rock, and in that rock has a fossilized flower in it. That person has just discovered that we are not alone in this universe. And that could come from a private citizen, not just some government military astronaut mm. who gets sent there on a mission. We never know. Or but, it keeps
1: well, yeah. well. I mean, the space yeah. artifacts are kind of funny, yeah. especially yeah. things about the tapes that were just auctioned off again because yeah. they were bought for five bucks. Yeah, <laughs> yes. And then you have like yeah. the, the the moon bags that accidentally went 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 for uh, auction. Yep, exactly. Um, because they're being yeah. divested in the military programs. So it, it is interesting, but then you you bring bring back another is is that. What point are we going to charge rent for use of the International Space Station? Cause if it's ch- sooner,
2: well, we already kind of, but you're right. It's sooner than later, I hope.
1: So if a commercial interest is doing it, then, you know, um, there's the side going, well, how about what's overuse look like? What is maintenance? I mean, you break, it's not like if you break a, a widget, there's a widget store on the other wing. <laughs> That's right, yeah. If you break the International Space Station, you buy it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't drop it, please. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the way um, I mean, yeah. way government tensions are going, it might be a good idea. But <laughs>
0: it's funny when you talk about government control, because you and I were driving up here, we were talking about Stranger Things, and that's a yeah, common yeah. that's a common thread, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. They talk about secret, it's like all those agencies. old old tropes of like the '70s and '80s of the government's coming in to take over, like ET and all that yeah. kind of stuff. It's
2: I I love watching uh, documentaries about alien abduction because yeah. they they talk about you know secreting you know. Uh, alien bodies around Air Force bases and stuff like that, and I'm like, clearly these people have never worked for the government. I mean, half the time I can't, <laughs> <laughs> half the time I can't connect to the printer down the hallway. I don't know how I'd hide an alien body, you know, from prying uh, eyes. I mean, uh,
0: Who was it? Uh, so I was talking with Cognac yeah uh he's another guest who's been on the podcast oh, okay. yeah. and uh it's funny he calls uh, like people who talk about the government and talk about government conspiracies he labeled them as government trusters yeah. <laughs> he's like because you put a hell of a lot more faith oh, in yes. the government than i ever could yeah, yeah these absolutely. clandestine organizations who just like carry out all these secret operations and the public doesn't know about it but it's only the smartest of us who can ever pick
1: apart I, I have one that follows that one <laughs> Military efficiency. Yeah.
2: That one's another one. I love it. Shout out to Kanye. Thanks for listening, buddy. You know, it's it's interesting, though, but uh, you need those private citizens. You need that commercialization. So let's take a step back again. So when Werner von Braun is trying to sell space travel to the American public... He realizes that the real way that he's going to get the funding that he needs and the buy-in that he needs is to popularize it. Join and the Nazi Party first. Well, yeah, well, that, well, that too. Yeah, so <laughs> sorry. Yeah, no, no, it's it's a fair <laughs> point. So let's not uh, kid ourselves. Uh, most most rocketry and space technology is a result of weapons it, made for war. It is true. Um, yeah. The at the end of the Second World War, the uh, the Americans made a decision to go after the people. Uh, the Soviets made a decision to go after the equipment mostly. Um, and as a result, uh, the <clears> best minds came to America because they felt. Actually, that they could get to the moon with the American economy, as opposed to a Soviet-controlled economy. And Those who didn't they, have
0: that kind of protection wound up in Argentina. Yeah, yeah. Well,
2: that's it. Yeah, yeah. Good morning, Michael. <sighs> yeah, so, but uh, but what he what he does is he realizes when he needs the money is that he uh, he goes to Walt Disney. And he gets onto this, you know, uh, gets onto these kinds of programs. He gets into Collier's magazine, no shit. and he popularizes space travel. And so there's a great uh, there's a great TV show that Disney runs, which talks about uh, Tomorrowland and talks about uh, space mm-hmm. travel and all that. And that's all done in the late 50s, and that's really done to get the American people. And he has a he has a friend that works with him, a guy by the name of Willie Ley, another German who escapes to America during the war. And these guys basically popularize space travel so that it becomes not just um, plausible, but possible. Mm. And when things becomes possible, then you really start to generate that public interest and you start to get that commercialization. And that's what we're seeing now with Elon Musk. There's a reason why Elon Musk puts a car into orbit. It's not because... He was trying to pull a stunt. It's because he wants the average person to connect yeah. to space travel. It's, right. he's it's marketing. That's right. It's why yeah. Chris Hadfield. Mm. It's why Chris Hadfield tweets with William Shatner uh, yeah. while he's commander, commander of space station. It's why he f- he films a video, a music yeah. video, Space Oddity, uh, because he knows that music connects people, yeah. and if he can connect the Earth to space and to orbit. Well then, well then, we could do pretty much anything.
0: And one of the one of the greatest marketing campaigns is, you know, you don't even have to create it; it's already manufactured as a result of the Cold War. It's just like we have an enemy out there; uh, we need to compete with them in order to get to space yeah. first. Yeah. Well, and I that's, mean, I that's mean that, easy for Americans to buy
1: onto that. I think it, it all depends who's in power. If you think about who this is true, if you're uh, you know Republican in, in, in power in the U.S., you're more for the the mil- military side of it. Yeah, um, but if you're a democrat and you're more liberal you're more looking for how to support climate change so th- that's why i brought both up because it's a, there's a very distinct note in what programs are supported and how these government agencies get their funding yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Be they're all-
0: approaching the same goal but they're just like ah oh, we're we're doing it the better way it's just like guys fucking isn't it in your in your interest to like work together. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> <But laughs>
2: <Baby. laughs> everyone's got their piece of the pie, right? I mean, you know, the the military is interested in tracking and wants to know where all the bits are. Or lay in yeah. orbit. Uh The commercial side needs to develop those uh, those pieces so that they can make the best use of them. Um, it's a bit of a symbiotic relationship. Probably love hate uh, a lot of the time, but uh, but probably ultimately necessary. Well, especially when, it, I think that the other part
1: is knowing where all the pieces are. Plus, you know. The, the satellites aren't stopping and the satellites provide very critical links to different parts of the of the world so and photographic services navigation services communication services gps so and, and then then they, they have laser links between them and they have each of these have finite shelf lives because you can, there's no you know petrol stations in 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 orbit right uh, not yet so, so if you knock one of these things out of orb, orbit you collide or near miss then, how much did it cost you? One hundred ten million
2: to launch a new satellite. Uh, mm-hmm. Four hundred and and plus usually. Well, not the micro ones. Uh, it depends. Yeah, if you're doing small sat, cubesat, sure. <clears throat> I'd be, hate to be the guy who to took out Hubble. Yeah. The, interesting, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <exactly. laughs> the, the interesting thing is that everybody actually loves space. They uh, they just don't even realize it. It's uh, space is one of those invisible technologies, like electricity or Kleenex or you know the software. We don't even think about them anymore. We just they just are. And and space has become just a thing. People don't realize that every time they go to an ATM, every time they they crack open iTunes on their phone, download an app, Uh, Watch Netflix. All of that is delivered by a satellite out in orbit somewhere. Uh, Check their phone to see when the bus is coming by. Where the lowest gas prices are. It's all delivered by a GPS satellite. Like they, it's it's all around us. In fact, it's everyone. It's already bought into space. They they just half the time they don't even think about it because our lives just go on.
1: But I mean, I also wrote a paper paper on uh, the precariousness of uh, GPS satellites and how there's. until like five years ago, there's a serious lack of an investment in GPS eyes. and a lot of them are on their tertiary systems because you know there's primary, secondary and tertiary. So they're on their last legs bef- and with no projects to
2: replace them. And this is one area that's really interesting because the, uh, the Americans clearly still are the leaders with GPS. Um, I don't think people realize just how new uh, Global Positioning is. I mean during the Gulf War in 1990, there were still blackout periods. Uh, where you didn't have proper navigational system, uh, the Soviet Union ended just as they were putting the Glonass uh, navigation system into orbit. Hmm. So it's a bit rusty; it's not quite there. The Chinese are desperately trying to create a navigation system, but they're still working on it. It's going to be some time. So really, the Americans still own it for now, and it's a very very critical piece. Well,
1: Japan lost, wa- launched one; it was in elliptical orbit. Yeah, they, yeah, they're working on it. Yeah. So most countries are tend to well, because yeah, I also think of Japan how they were for. Their trees and their surrender agreements
2: from World War Two pre- preclude them from really launching a lot of stuff. Yeah, the uh, Europeans are also trying to create a an alternate uh, with a Galileo system because they they feel they don't want to rely on the Americans. They want to have a th- what they call often a third option. But but the reality is is that you know. These things don't get developed quickly. They actually take a lot of time. And it's not just about actually creating the piece of equipment and putting it up there. It's about having the infrastructure and the industry behind it to create those systems. And the United States just simply is way far ahead of everybody else. Um, the Chinese still use, r- realistically, early Cold War era Soviet technology to get into space. Um, they've stolen some technology from the United States in order to improve that, but, but they're well-fucked. me And everyone else, like, yeah. else. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and the Russians are kind of in the same boat. I mean, here's, here's an interesting take. So, in the International Space Station, there are five main partners. China is not one of them. Neither is India, uh, neither is Israel, or any of the Muslim countries of the world. Uh, which is interesting when you think about it. I mean, the International Space Station is really the uh, essence of all of us. And and interestingly enough, uh, the United States, the European Union, Russia, America, and Canada are the five main partners in the International Space Station. Hmm. In fact, without Canada, there would be no International Space Station. Really? Yeah, that's that's because of the that's because of the uh, what they call the Space Shuttle Remote Manipulation System, the SSMRS, Canada Arm Two. Right. Uh, you couldn't build the International Space Station without the Canada Arm, huh. and in fact, it wouldn't be able to survive without the Canada Arm. Hmm. And Canada was very smart that way. We took a very small budget and a very small agency, and we made a huge critical investment. And as a result, we are at the center of what is probably the most remarkable engineering feat. In the history of humanity, that's crazy. My neighbors working. My neighbors working on the next gen. See, they talk about
0: that when I was in school. (laughs) I want to meet that guy. (laughs) When I was in school, they talked about that like it was some great. It was a great accomplishment because it was Canadian, but we don't talk about it in terms of like the actual human accomplishment of what it was. Like what you know, yeah, it's great. You know, go Canada and all that kind of stuff. But like the the idea that just I I've never heard that before. That it was just the uh, I don't know. I'm at the limit of my intellectual capacity for <laughs> words here. <laughs> the fact that it got six axes of
1: rotation. Yes, yes. Yeah.
0: But like that, we're we're you know we implemented something or we built something that, you know. We could not have a product otherwise. That's it. Yeah. Uh, uh,
2: you know, the, uh, the International Space Station is one of those remarkable uh, feats of uh, engineering, uh, like the pyramids or uh, like some of the other great constructions of this earth. But it's the uh, it is the only sort of you know out of this world uh, project that uh, has sort of been a culminating point of the best, the very very best of all of our ideas and all of our inventions. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Would you have said the same thing about Mir? Uh, no, I, 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 I recall a it a fireball in the sky. There yeah, Miro, was a garbage can in orbit. Um, <laughs> no, to be fair to the Russians, <laughs> to be fair to the Russians, they, uh, Uh, They were very good at heavy lift, and they realized early on that because they were never going to get to the moon, uh, their own uh, moon program uh, ended disastrously. Uh, They built a a rocket similar to the Saturn V that took the Apollo astronauts to the moon, something called the N1 Zond rocket. Um, After the fourth launch, which also ended in failure, they basically had four bad launches that resulted in four destructions uh, not far off the pad. Um, They basically gave up on it, and so they, uh, they turned to space stations instead. And that's, that was their forte for a while. I think your puppy is jealous of me.
1: Can we get out? Stop petting him. Okay, get out. <laughs> get out. I'm just going to get the microphone get a out. Bit closer to you. Yep. Get out.
0: Okay. <clears throat> I can do post editing. Yeah. Uh, there
2: we a go. Which one is there it? There
0: we are. I usually, my judge is like that that distance from the mic.
2: Righto. Got
1: it. Yeah,
0: he should be okay.
1: Yeah, so, yeah. So the, um, yeah, <laughs> fireball in the sky. The culmination
2: of all of our achievement, eventually degrading orbit. (laughs) Yeah, everything goes after a while. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's not the first time that uh, we've had a Russian fireball in the sky. A Soviet uh, satellite with a nuclear, uh, uh, basically power plant, smashed into the Northwest Territories in 1978, uh, spewing radioactive bits all over the northern part of Canada. So, well, Soviet
1: sub caught fire on the weekend. Yes, I heard of that. That
2: seems to be a tradition with them about subs. They
1: actually had someone survive, so we'll see. that's good. I don't think he's having kids,
2: though. Speaking (laughs) of of
0: whiskey and and things catching fire, uh, I guess in the news about Jim Beam Factory.
2: (laughs) Oh, my. god. about unlucky. Yeah. Oh, I cried it. It's okay.
1: We know how to make our own.
0: Yeah. <laughs> people were like, "It's okay. It's Jim Beam. It's not even real whiskey." <laughs> I was just like, "Whiskey's whiskey, man." And people people make a livelihood off of that.
2: It was something. Like 40, you got to shed a tear. Was it forty thousand barrels or yeah, yeah. yeah. something like yeah huge
1: yeah. I wonder if they diversified. And well, they another plant. Here's
0: okay. your here's your business case. They
2: probably had all kinds of insurance to cover them for that. So I don't, I don't put probably. <laughs> yeah. So you haven't talked about conspiracies. I thought you'd, I think mm. since we talked about, you can't talk about space uh, exploration and travel without conspiracies. You must have a favorite conspiracy. Well, obviously the, the, the alien, biggest one is the, the flat earth one. down uh, Jim oh. Bean. <laughs> you, know, you know how hard it is to, to fly your chemtrail aircraft <laughs> along the edge of the flat earth? <laughs>
0: That's not an easy thing you to gotta do. you got to hit the ice wall so, right. at some point, right? Course, yeah. <laughs> Oh, man. We try not to give those people steam, but, man, it's just like it's too no, the, hard the, not the, to the laugh. Question,
1: the question becomes is how do you turn your plane 90 degrees? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Exactly.
2: You, the UN
0: knows. Yeah. It's like the Bermuda Triangle. You just It just reroutes your plane, and that's then it. all of a sudden that's you're it. going in the opposite direction. You know,
2: yeah. no, I'm, I don't I'm surprised because normally usually you get something about, you know, we never landed on the moon or... You know
0: there's a no no I believe all that stuff like I you know but I believe basically everything everybody tells me so it's okay, oh, okay. you know I am one of those life aliens yeah. ancient aliens, <laughs> ancient aliens. Yeah, oh yeah, oh, yeah. I saying it was aliens but
1: it was it was aliens yeah <laughs> <laughs>
0: No, well, here's the You're thing. You're saying it was
1: Mexicans. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, the thing
0: about those, right, is that um, a lot of these, uh, a lot of these conspiracies, from what I've come to understand over the last couple of months, just listening to other podcasts, interviews, that kind of stuff, is that uh, it's a result of uh, the internet, of fake news, of different uh, like 4chan or Reddit or something like that. And really, what it comes down to is people. God, God forbid, people go on the internet and tell lies. Right? never happens. It never happens, right? (laughs) I think
1: they they have a site called Reddit. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And they go out and they just troll people. And then some poor soul who doesn't know any better, they buy into that shit. And they have just enough charisma and enough, you know, I don't know, chutzpah to go out and... And uh, try and do a fact-finding mission on whatever it is the conspiracy is about, like flat Earth. And it's it starts out as a hoax, and then it turns into something real because people, like people, are fucking dumb most of the time, and they just buy into that. Well, shit. Well, I think oh. it's,
1: it's it's even more than that. So you also put it in, in, in space. And I think a lot of no, uh, science fiction novels really explore that: is that once you're on an isolated environment like a spacecraft or an aircraft. Uh, the, the power dynamic changes. So you're going to have
2: one, one person that has all the power for whatever reason that now makes the rules. Yeah, One of the things that interests me about uh, conspiracies in space and you know, UFOs and aliens and that kind of thing is, is why people want to believe it so badly. You know, I, which I think is an interesting sort of... Uh, That's a great question. Well, I, think it's an inter- I think it's an interesting sort of uh, bookmark about the human species, which is that I think actually we are quite desperate to not be alone. I think think that we look at the universe for what it is and all the stars when we step outside at night and we look up and we see, you know, like Carl Sagan was often quoted those billions and billions of stars. And we know if we apply some basic mathematical principles based on what we know about the construction of stars and the construction of galaxies Mm -hmm. that mathematically we shouldn't be alone in this universe. Mm -hmm. And I think that we're impatient as a human species and we just really, really, really want to know. And as a result, we start to create, and we start to concoct, and we start to... Uh, well, you create groups. Well, let's just, well, it's a way of I, I, reaching out to other people. It, now
0: you're you know, falling into it. stuff that that's I'm you know, super interested in, and it's human psychology,
2: right? That's, that's it. And I, I think that we, we, we really want to not be alone, and as a result, we start to try to push the... We try to push the issue a little bit by sort of suggesting that we aren't alone, Yeah. and we start to concoct conspiracies and theories and fantasies because it just suits us because we're in a we're in a hurry to get to the answer that we all kind of know is there. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I, I I think part
1: of it is like um, the balance. I'm going to been part of the trades. I've been part of like the the, the academia world a bit, um, but ultimately like we we kind of want a bit of validation. Oh, absolutely, right. So you think of like, and I'll bring it back to like a climate scientist. Like, oh, I think this is what's happening. I got evidence to show it. I got more evidence to
2: show it. I got more evidence to show it. That, you know, it's possible. Yeah, um, I, I think, I think but, for the climate guys, the, you know, look, I, I'm, we've, we've only collected data on our environment for say, let's say for sake of argument, we have 500 years of really good solid data. And I think that's being pretty generous, actually. But let's say for sake of argument, we have 500 years of data on our climate. Well, this planet's three and a half billion years old. So I hate to say it, but we actually don't really understand exactly what happens to this world. Now that being said, we can measure certain things. We can certainly measure human impact, but we also are innovators. Um, Three quarters of the planet is covered in water, right? We know how to desalinate water, so why does anybody not go without drinking water? We know that trees take carbon dioxide and turn it back into the elements of which we need to require. So, And we can create scrubbers. We've created scrubbers since uh, the 1940s. So why don't we just create huge scrubbers and scrub the atmosphere well, if that's we, the we, real we, problem? No, we do. It's commercial and viability. That's right. Kind of yeah. but, but that's the issue, right? And if the drive is great enough, so for example, commercial viability... When uh, they're deciding that they might go to the moon in the 1950s, one of the things that uh, that uh, John F. Kennedy asked is, how much is it going to cost or what are we what are we going to spend on this? And Hugh Dryden, who was a NASA engineer that talked about heavy lift and talked about <clears throat> trying not to compete with the Soviets and talked with uh, the Treasury Board, at the end of the day, they realized that if they dropped 20 to $40 billion into the U.S. economy and employed 400,000 people... Um, it was actually not just good for space, but it was good for the American American economy and good for the American people. And maybe that's what climate change needs, is that, say, look, you know, we're going to do these big projects again. Because we haven't done big projects in a long time. We've we been focused on killing each other and, and trying to control the world in certain ways and push our little agendas. But but what we haven't had in a long time is a big project. And this is where you get these disruptor yeah. guys. You, like, need, you need war to bring it out or a big disruptor? Well, you need yeah. a disruptor like Elon Musk who comes along and says, hey, I'm going to go to Mars. Uh, Ted Zubin and I said, we're going to go to Mars, so do you want to come with us? You know. And, and they have
0: the capability and the focus to be able to concentrate on those kinds of efforts. Whereas when you're a country or a nation like the U.S., like you've got one hand... Straddling on trying to figure out this space exploration thing and improve or push the human race in a positive direction. I'm not saying the U.S. is ever going to do that. (laughs) I wouldn't (laughs) dare accuse them of that. But um, but like you're the most powerful nation in the world. You got one hand trying to control these, uh, trying to you know push agenda and trying to push us in a positive direction looking forward. But you also got another hand on trying to maintain control on uh, on your trade routes while you've got all these other actors out in the and con- uh, different nations who are trying to basically undermine western democracy as we know it between China between Russia between different agencies like that as well right mm-hmm. Um like we're li- we're literally seeing it. Oh, yeah, that's his he's bringing it. He's breaking out his moonshine.
2: That's good. Well, yeah. Yeah, we're talking about the moon. So, why yeah, not?
0: <laughs> we're going to shine. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but
2: absolutely. Like, you know, but you, you got to think of it. it takes courage to make uh, certain choices. So, again, you know, when the United States decide that it's going to invest in going to the moon. Um, it's also involved in the Vietnam War. Yeah, uh, you're right. Homelessness and poverty in the United States is at an all-time high. Yeah, um, there, There's uh, certainly arguments. Uh, Walter Mondale, who was a very sort of influential politician at the time, says, you know, that he wants to help America's poor and he wants to help children with uni- universal education and and he wants to change America during an age of uh, civil rights movements and everything else. But America says, you know, these are all important things, but but so is going to the moon, not just to show... That we can beat the Russians, but also to show that we can make the journey and that we can actually get there, yeah, because if we can get if we can go to the moon, well, well, we could do anything maybe and and it's this, and this is the thing I think a lot of people uh, miss when they talk about the United states they they get wrapped up in the politics and they they tend to look at the people but but America is also an idea, and, yeah, and America has always been about an idea, and this is really what has often separated them from everyone else is the fact is that they can make these ideas a reality if they just put their minds to it and it it's is impressive. true. It, is, it
0: really is you do have to give them credit and the fact that you got you talk a little bit like the founding fathers where they created a system where they 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 tried to understand human nature at its absolute worst while creating this system it's yeah. just like no matter how like say, say things go really bad, and we get a fucking idiot in power. Not the first time. Will we still be able to preserve the nation, and will it still be able to carry on forward through the centuries? And it will. And it will. it will. I think it will. Yeah. Um, you got to be careful what's happening on the interior with the people sometimes. you gotta but there's a because of the amount of information that we have available to us, Um, People don't know what is good information and what's bad information, what's nefarious, what's being...
2: It's important to be historically minded. I mean, as we look forward, as we look outside this planet and we go into orbit, we also have to look backwards and, and see the kind of people that got us here. Um, you know, people look at the current president of the United States and they, they get upset and they make all sorts of disparaging marks. I mean, let's face it, he's not the most charismatic yeah. of individuals and he does fumble a lot and he doesn't say says embarrassing things or it seems to be very shallow. Uh, but that being said, he's not the first president by any stretch. I mean, uh, Abraham Lincoln, which is revered, obviously, is a statue at the end of the Washington Mall. But, but I can tell you, if he ran for politics today, he would never get past the primaries. Nope. Uh, Here's a guy that uh, was um, a dividing uh, president who was on the take when he was uh, in public office, who was being sued when he uh, actually entered the office of the president of the United States. Um, His uh, wife was uh, often determined to be crazy and was kept in the public eye. uh, Her brother was the the commandant of Andersonville Prison, which was the famous uh, Confederate Army prison uh, during the war. In fact, his brother's-in-law fought on the Confederate Army side. Wow, he sounds like Doug Ford. <laughs> uh, he, uh, you know, yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. you know, you think about it. Uh, you yeah. know, he was he was notorious for telling lewd jokes on the campaign trail. Uh, he stole his own primary because apparently he had one of his agents uh, counterfeit the tickets that were required to get into the hall to make votes. I mean, he had all these things, and and he's a guy that today, if he had to run for office, um, he would not have made it, quite honestly. But you know, he did because of time, luck, uh, vision, idea. And, uh, and so forth and so on. So, so I, 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 caution people today to say, don't, don't worry about the guy who's sitting in the white house today. Uh, he's only going to be there for a little while. Yeah. Uh, that's not really what matters. What really matters care is care
0: about that, the institution and,
2: and the idea, the yeah. idea yeah, that goes uh, behind America. And, and I think with, with, uh, with Trump, I think it's caring about the
1: institution and preservation of the science. I mean, George W. Bush was notorious for c- cutting NASA. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. um, uh, but but mean, they look
0: at him like he's a saint now compared to who they got in power, which is hilarious. hilarious, to to hilarious well,
1: Trump cut climate change, guys. It's like <laughs> uh, I I try not to. I, I think but was, both Republican.
0: Yeah, there's another famous uh, podcaster. I think, I think Ben Shapiro. He's like I don't attribute uh, I don't tr- attribute uh, maliciousness when I can attribute uh, uh, stupidity <laughs> first.
2: So that's a good point. Yeah.
1: Sounds like a lot of bosses I've had. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> notice, we, notice we all laughed when I you know. said that. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> all
2: been there. It's true. No, but it's true. It's that idea that the you know the the this is the thing about America. I think that it does set it apart is that even with you know one president or another or, or one sort of sort of driving agenda or another, you can still have the Jeff Bezos, you can still have the Richard Branson's and the and the Elon Musk's because at the end of the day. Uh, no matter what politics are going on in America, they still allow these enterprising individuals to do what they do. Um, and, so, and you know that it's it's so much so that it goes beyond politics. I mean, you look at how much SpaceX, how much real estate SpaceX has right now on the Cape in Florida where all of the launches go off uh, for the United States space program. I mean, private enterprise even 20 years ago was almost Absolutely not allowed anywhere near NASA's uh, facilities, and now they're they're right in their backyards, and that's because NASA, you know, government agency run by the president, you know, and run by the president's institutions, realized at the end of the day, private enterprise and individuals are the ones that uh, will push those ideas a little bit farther. Do you, you think
1: it was the president?
2: I, I think it was because you know NASA wasn't really using
1: them anymore. Well, <laughs> you know, it's it's, not, it's not only just that
2: I mean the thing is that NASA, NASA for a long time actually was criticized for strangling uh, private enterprise so yeah. so in the early uh, to mid 90s there were a bunch of uh, first attempts if you will to try and commercialize space um, uh, Pete Conrad jr who was the command module uh, sorry was commander of Apollo 12 uh, third man to walk on the moon uh, ran a, a program called DCX in the 1990s where he was trying to create a Sort of a launch and reusable uh, rocket system to put private uh, commercial packages into orbit and, and, and private enterprise into orbit but uh, you know nasa had this uh, strategy they would apply where they would uh, uh, endorse private enterprise in space co-op them uh, mentor them and then kill them by death by a thousand cuts by slowly bleeding out their budgets wow. and, and basically putting them to the end because they didn't want to let go of space they wanted space to remain purely a government uh, or you know sort of endeavor But uh, we're finally seeing the end of that, right?
1: It's funny that you say that, because considering NASA was founded on a principle of, you know, a democracy-focused style, Mm -hmm. you know, against the Soviet socialism... Yeah. Yeah. Meanwhile, they had a socialist view on how they control space. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) I mean, it's so funny.
0: There's nothing wrong with that, to be honest. Like, it's okay to have that, right? I know. I I know.
1: But it's nice to contrast. (laughs) Here's the thing.
0: We've actually. It's funny, though. It's funny, though, you mentioned that because I think we've forgotten some of those values. I think because. We were talking about that earlier too and I'm going to I'm going to kind yeah, of in, go away a little bit from the business business cases a little bit but I wanted to go back and nerd out a little bit cuz we were talking a little bit of, about uh, stranger things. Yeah, I love that show. And
1: ground so. control to major tom. Ground control to major tom. Mm-hmm.
2: Lock your Soyuz hatch And put your helmet on
0: The song you're now listening to Is Space Oddity Now, most people have heard this tune Especially the David Bowie version um, But they will not have heard This chilling rendition By astronaut Chris Hadfield Don't believe me? Well, first of all, Dr. Green mentioned it in the podcast And I ended up looking it up on YouTube And there was only about 7,000 people um who actually had watched the video or whatever you can you can check it out in the link I've left a link in the description but anyway you know we as Canadians we love Chris and what he's done for promoting curiosity and reinvigorating the spirit of exploration exploration words are hard i've been drinking scotch folks it's really difficult to actually say shit um black bottle yeah i'm uh, not paid to advertise them i'm just a i'm a really big fan but anyway uh Chris Hadfield, yeah, um, Space Oddity. Man, that was pure gold. Anyway, incoming shameless plug. Please like and subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your weekly dose of whiskey and rocks. And I'm not talking about the LCBO, folks. We're currently on iTunes, we're on Stitcher, we're on Google Play, and we're still technically on YouTube, but not really because I haven't quite cracked that nut. But we are on Spotify, and we are haphazardly looking for new ways to expand as well. You can help us out even more if you write us a review on Facebook, tell your friends and even get involved in the conversation. This is my shameless radio voice I'm trying to use and I don't think it's working out too well. It sounds awful. Uh, in fact, getting involved in the conversation, we have a forum up right now, this moment talking about hashtag me first. What is hashtag me first? Well, on our last episode, we briefly mentioned the subject of hashtag me first. Now, Me first traditionally appears to refer to people opting to take care of their personal well-being, which is fine and all. There's no issues with that. But, you know, Whiskey and I, we talked it about... We talked it about? We talked about it offline, and we decided to turn the meaning on its head and parody it. Our definition involves... You can literally just read this post on our Facebook page. I'm literally just reading that. But anyway, I I, I thought I'd add a little inflection to it and make it entertaining. Anyway... Our definition of hashtag me first involves more ludicrous examples that tend to get people fired up. Examples such as people who don't hold open doors for others. People who pass you in the fast lane only to exit off the highway immediately after they've passed you. You know who you are, Keith. You know who you are. Or just general people in airports. Yeah, they're kind of assholes. Is it gimmicky radio tactics? Absolutely. Am I using a gimmicky radio voice? Absolutely. Do we care? Hell no. We figure it would make a great episode and give anyone listening a cheap, good laugh. Anyway, thanks again for listening. And stay tuned for part two of what we've come to call a Canadian Space Odyssey. Thanks, folks. See you next week.